morning and welcome to Merge Community Church. Great to see you guys this morning. Uh, we don't have any announcements officially to make this morning, so we're just happy to see you guys. Uh, if you will get up and go create some kind of elbow handshake with everybody, just greet one another, say good morning, and we'll continue with worship right after that. Ready, set, go.
Father, you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. You are a promise keeper. And I pray right now that there's something inside of us that is just stirring. That we're not just sitting here complacent. We're not just living our lives in stagnant waters, but we're able to see your beauty, chase after your beauty, and place our hearts in your beauty each and every day. That we would have the the willingness, the vulnerability to open up our hearts to you right now. This would be more than just singing songs. This would be us coming to the end of ourselves out of desperation to meet you right here, right now. To be able to receive touch, a glimpse of your heaven, of your perfection, of your beauty.
the humility to be able to look at my life and my story through your lens understanding all along that you know what is best for me understanding that you're more powerful than the anxiety that's in this room you're more powerful than the brokenness that is with us haunts us, that chases after us. You're more powerful than Satan who lures us. That we would build our lives upon that understanding. That we would put our trust in you alone. You are the King of kings. You are the name above all names. And in this place, I pray we find a boldness in that. And then it wouldn't stop these doors, but that boldness would lead us. It would lead us in our discussions. 
It would lead us in our differences. It would lead us in our lack of understanding. It would build our lives on your foundation.
I understand much of this life. Much of this life. Spent with you showing us, opening the eyes of our hearts for the good and the bad. God, I pray that we would that we would camp, we would base an understanding that my relationship with you, my love for you, your love for me is between you and I. But there are so many lost hearts right now, Father, that are around us, that are around this church, that are in our community, that are at our jobs watching. They're looking for answers. They're reaching. I pray that the life that you allow me to live speaks to who you are. That you would lead me in your love to those around me. yours. What is broken in all of us? You would give me the wisdom, the strength, the power to speak Jesus into that. To speak truth into those voids, into those struggles in my own life and those around me. trick ourselves into saying some things that you just kind of hope your heart is um, willing to pursue. You know, things like, uh, I will build my life upon your love. Uh, it It is my firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, uh, and I will not be shaken out. I'm reminded Really, just today, uh, and, and we're, we'll get started here at some point with our lesson. But, but I, I feel a pressing today um, in regards to those words and the way I feel we collectively are kind of in this season of confusion. Uh, I've spent a majority of my week in conversations about um, how school will start, if school will start. Um, if we end up just telling our kids, good luck, just become adults right now. I don't, uh, and, 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 and what I'm experiencing is, is that we may be in one of the most confusing seasons that we've ever experienced. I know in my lifetime, uh, this is the most confused I've been when I look at 
our society, when I look at um, the circumstances that we're facing. Um, and, and as I'm experiencing that, I'm also struggling with just, this is not a soapbox, this is just how I, how I perceive things, that we are the least grace-filled people, but we want the most grace given to us. And, uh, and, and I, I watched this in particular this week, and we're going to stop, we're going to pray in just a moment. But I've watched this uh, primarily online, which I know, it's, I'm with you. Everybody hates it, but none of us can stop uh, watching Facebook, right? Uh, and and I, I get our anxiety right now, about specifically about school, and, uh, and I get that perhaps you want more information uh, coming to you with more absolute thoughts, uh, even though everything tends to be shifting uh, from day to day. Uh, but but I, I'm recognizing that the role of the Christian in this season is to rest on the foundation of the gospel. It's to trust in the goodness of our God. And it's to extend grace to people who don't have all the answers. Okay? And so... So as I as I say that I I get our our anxiousness or our antsiness and and things but but what I what I know is that we are blessed in our biblical community to have um, people who are in the room uh, who are being allowed to shape and being allowed to discuss and being allowed to ask questions and here's the, the honest truth in your own home when you ask questions is it not true that one question leads to eight other questions. Uh, and then you, you never really find a resolution. Uh, but we, we get to have people in our biblical community who are in those rooms, who are helping to shape those decisions. Uh, and, and one of the things I would like us to do before we get started in Hebrews is I'd like us to pray for them. And then I would like us to pray for our school district. And then thirdly, I would like us to pray for ourselves that as we have the privilege to model the gospel in these most of uncertain times, that we would do so with the desire that I am building my life upon the rock of Jesus. That He is my firm foundation. He is the anchor to which my entire life finds its purpose. Okay? So, so we're going to do that, and then, then we'll go Hebrews 9 for a little bit. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You that in every wave, and we thank you that in every shift of the wind, that you are our constant. That we can, we can rest on you, and we can lean toward you, and we can, we can run toward you. And what we pray in this moment, of, uh, that, that, that as we've been discussing just specifically about our school, we pray that you would grant wisdom to people who are making the calls. Father, our preference is what we consider a timely manner, but I pray you would help our hearts get around your time. And so we pray for our administration here in Azel, that as they have discussions and meetings and they make decisions, we pray you would guide them. We pray for our administrators and our, our principals and our teachers, that, that you would give them, uh, just, you would grant them uh, the reputation uh, to, to be able to speak truth. 
And I pray for our church that we would be very aware of our conversations and our posts and and our thoughts that, that we would know that the ultimate desire of our life would be the proclamation of your Son. That we would spend our time meditating on that and celebrating that. And when we're given an opportunity to speak harsh words against people of, of, in, in, in regard to things that we really don't even know about, we pray you would bind our tongues. Father, help our churches in this area be quick to listen, slow to speak, and definitely slow to become angry. Because, Father, we rest knowing that every circumstance is seen by you and is allowed by you. And so, Father, teach us how to put our hope and our trust in you and you alone. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's go Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. These past few weeks, we've been traveling uh, through this book as we've dived back into it. And our focus has been uh, on the role that Jesus serves as our great high priest. And, and more recently, uh, we've been talking about the new covenant that he brings us in order to restore the broken relationship we had or that we have, if you're not in Christ Jesus, uh, with our Heavenly Father. Uh, and so, so, you see, sin destroys and it kills. And, it, and because God the Father loves us unimaginably, because He loves us unimaginably, He has always provided a way to restore fellowship with Him. And so, so the Old Covenant, uh, which was introduced back in Exodus, uh, brought with it our awareness of, of the law and the rituals and the offerings and the sacrifices. And, and again, the challenge with those things was, was that it covered sin, but it could not forgive it fully, uh, since there was not a sustaining sacrifice. And, and as it stood, the Old Covenant uh, was a placeholder of sorts until the New Covenant would come. And now... We've been talking, we've been linking ourselves to the first, uh, the first mention of the New Covenant, and it's found in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, and, then, and it's, most fully, it's most fulfilled uh, in the life, the death, the resurrection, the, the ascension of, of Jesus Christ. Now, now, the New Covenant he brings not only restores fellowship with God, who loves us, but forgives and grants access to to this intimate relationship with Him. Now remember, the, the Old Covenant, as it stood, it created these barriers between us and the Father in regards to uh, the temple. And then even inside the temple, you had the Holy of Holies where His presence resided. Uh, and then when Jesus comes along and what Jesus fulfills, tears that veil. Uh, it gives us unfettered access, invited us into the very presence of God. And, and this passage this morning is going to teach us uh, many things, and on top of it, it's going to help us hopefully better understand in greater detail how Jesus goes on our behalf to God the Father. The, the, it's one of the most important roles that He plays as our, as our priest, as our mediator. 
uh, in this passage. Now, and, and, and I'll say this to guard ourselves. Okay, we need to be careful that we don't get lost in ourselves in these verses. In fact, uh, the passage here is intended to draw our focus to Jesus so that as we respond in worship, our love for Him grows, grows more and more. And so, so let's just dive in. Um, we, I think we stopped last week at verse 14, right? So let's dive in. We'll start in verse 15. It says this, Therefore, okay, so we've been building upon what we've said these last couple weeks. Therefore, he, okay, and if you like to underline or circle your Bible, you can go, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be Established. We're going to unpack that in just a second. For, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool. Everybody knows about scarlet wool, right? Uh, and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood uh, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, and here's, a, here's an important word to, to note, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he says that to say this, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God, and underline these three words, on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own, for, for then he would have uh, had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man, to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's a lot of verses, okay? We're going to come back. We're going to unpack that. Uh, now, as we do that, I, I think there are times, uh, I don't know if you if you have these conversations, if, if you're spending time in the Word, um, where... I think there are times that I incorrectly think that God should be more careful uh, with the kind of comparisons that uh, he uses or the analogies that he uses to explain uh, his work. Because uh, he, he's pretty daring in the way that he uses human language and, and, and images. Uh, for instance, uh, he, will, uh, he will say that uh, the coming of Jesus will be like a thief 
in the night. Now, we don't typically uh, make a connotation to Jesus being a thief because we think of thieves as being evil and being wrong, but yet God does that. There's another uh, instance where, um, where, he, where God will compare his wrath to a man who, uh, who is being raised from a drunken stupor. Uh, and, you know, and the question would be, why does God do it this way? Uh, why does God say that? Why does he use comparisons that could be confused or, or really lost in translation? And the answer is that, that every comparison could be misleading when the work of God is being compared to the work of man. Uh, and so, so God is unique, and there is, a, there is no human experience that perfectly fits the way he acts or, or the way that he is. Uh, which is why uh, it's difficult at times when we say God is our perfect heavenly father. Uh, our connection will firstly be to our earthly fathers. And we'll say, well, if my earthly father was, was good, then maybe he's like that. Uh, and if my earthly father was, was evil or bad, uh, then we will struggle when, with that analogy. Does that, make, does that make sense what I'm saying to you? Uh, somebody just nodding to get me to move along. That's fine. Um, and so, so there's no human experience that perfectly fits. But, but if God wants to communicate with us, which he does, he has no other language but the language that we can understand. Uh, a human language that's been built around human experience. Uh, for example, let's, let's use the term uh, servanthood. Uh, when, when we hear that, we use human language that's, that's grown up on us on the basis of our experience or or our awareness of what servants look like, right? Uh, many of us will go straight to Downton Abbey, right? And the, uh, the uh, you know, just the up life of those guys. Uh, and, and, and if God wants to communicate something to us about that, then uh, we have to understand that, that, that since he is like God, like, I'm sorry, but since he is God, and he's utterly unlike us in many ways, for instance, the language of, of servanthood is going to be misleading in parts. Okay, so, so we'll ask, okay, what comparison of this is true to God and what comparison is not? Because if we are called servants of God, if we are called to live in servanthood, uh, then, then does that not mean that we are, does that mean that we're not children of God anymore? Or if we're servants, does it mean that we're not heirs of God anymore? Or, or does it mean that, uh, that, that we live in the servants' quarters and we have no place at the Father's table? Well, that can't be the case because one of the things that God does for us in Jesus is he adopts us into the family. He adopts us and he brings us and he makes us heirs to the, the glorious inheritance that he gives us. So how do we reconcile those two things, with the exception of saying there are parts of the word servanthood that applies to God that are true, then there are parts that, that don't apply uh, any longer. And, and, I, and I say that, and I don't say it very well, um, that, that in our verses this morning, uh, the writer's going to introduce a comparison between the new covenant uh, and a last will and testament. And, and so, so we need to be careful here that uh, that we make sure we see parts of this comparison that are helpful and parts that can be misleading if they're viewed through the incorrect lens. And so, so we start by remembering the, the nature of the new covenant, okay? So God says this in thir Jeremiah 31, but he repeats it in chapter 8, uh, verse 10 and 12 of, 
uh, 10 through 12 of Hebrews. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbors and each one his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be, and this is so beautiful, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So, so this arrangement, in this arrangement, God no longer writes His will on tablets of stone outside the heart. He moves by His Spirit inside our hearts, and He makes His will part of what we love. He, he changes us from the inside out so that we love what, what He loves. And not only that, it says that, that in the New Covenant, He is merciful to us, uh, in our transgressions, and he remembers our our sins no more. And my my fear is that we will hear this promise of God, and it will be like us telling our teenagers something incredible, and them look and say, "Oh, cool." That that your heavenly Father will look at your transgressions. He will look at your iniquities. And he will forgive them and he will remember them no more. No more. It no longer weighs us down. It no longer beats us. That, that in the old covenant there had been no sacrifice that could truly take away human sin continually. And so, so there had to been, there, there had been animal sacrifice, but what we'll find out when we get, uh, I think next week, is that it is, Hebrews 10.4 will say that, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so, so the new covenant promises that these sins will be taken away, which means the foundation of the new covenant is the better sacrifice, namely the sacrifice of God's own Son. And so, so the new covenant, hear me when I say this, is all about how God deals with sin to make us right with Him. And that's what we need most in our life. It talks about how He deals with the guilt and the condemnation of sin by sending His Son to die for sinners, to bear our guilt so that there could be forgiveness and cleansing and good consciousness before God. And that's what we, were, that's what we dealt with primarily last week. And so, so how God deals with the power of sin by writing the law in our hearts so that we hate sin from the inside and love God's will and walk in His ways freely, not merely by these external legal constraints, that's the new covenant. That, that's, that's Christianity. And by the death of God, the shedding of Christ's blood is the basis of all of it. And so by His blood shedding, He purchased our, it's a big word, uh, sanctification. Our ability to grow up in Christ. He took away our guilt and He takes away our corruption. And now when we get here in Hebrews 9, 15 through 22, the writer gives a new slant on the new covenant. He, he compares it to a last will and testament. Now, uh, most of us uh, will understand that, right? In verse 15, he says, he says that Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And then he refers to Christ's death that redeems from sins as the first covenant that, that the first covenant could not take away uh, those sins. And he says this new covenant is based on the death 
of Christ. And that it happened so that all who might receive an eternal inheritance. And so, so, so far this sounds just wonderfully familiar, right? Jesus died so that I could be free. But then in verse 16, he makes this comparison between the new covenant and in a last will and testament. Now, now most of us kind of know what a last will and testament is, but maybe the kids don't. Uh, I don't think Mark does um, because he's Mark. So, um, and so, so let's, let's talk about what it is. A last will and testament is a very important, very official legal paper that a person writes down to say what should be done with his possessions after he dies. Right? That's that's a last will and testament. Every Every adult should have one. In fact, Missy updates ours frequently, and she says she loves me so much she keeps putting money on my life insurance policy, you know, for my benefit. Um, and so, so, so every adult should have one. And that's that's the comparison that the, of the with the new covenant that the writer makes here. For where a will, verse sixteen, for where a will is involved, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For, for a will is valid only when men are dead. So when Jesus dies, he brings in this last will and testament, right? So, so how do we reconcile the last will and testament of Jesus, right? In short, it did not come into effect until his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And we can go many places in the Bible to help kind of reconcile this, but I don't think we have to because I believe uh, that these verses this morning, that this passage, is helping us understand that. And so I want to give you three truths that we make about Jesus that will hopefully help us better understand the will of God being separate from the will that Jesus makes when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When he says... It is through me you find the forgiveness of your sins. And so the first truth is simply this, that, that Jesus goes to God on our behalf. On your behalf, I should say. Let that, let that just sink for a moment. Jesus goes to God on your behalf. Therefore, verse 15, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 24, for Christ has entered, this is so important, for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's what's happening right now. In this very moment, these verses are tremendously important when it comes to how we understand our relation to God and the reason, really, for the confidence we can have as we serve as witnesses of the gospel. Because everything, hear me when I say this, everything hinges on Jesus. And this is the best news. The best news we can rest in, that verse 24 needs to be committed to memory and it needs to be celebrated Frequently, that right now, in this moment, Jesus goes to God on our behalf, and we are considered forgiven and redeemed and included into this great story that he's telling. That, that, that even on your best day ever, right? Your best day ever, you cannot uh, be pure enough or holy enough without Jesus. 
You can't. And, and so, so his sacrifice is the most important action that will ever happen to you. That he's not, he's not just holding back the wrath of a holy God, though that is an extension of his mediation, that he's creating a path for restored fellowship of the God of love, as, jo- as John will tell us in 1 John, that, that, that our sin broke covenant and fellowship in Jesus restores our brokenness continuously. Continuously. So there will never be a moment, no matter how many years you are found in Christ, that you say, you know, I don't need His work anymore. I've grown up enough. I'm mature enough. I'm good. He's continually working in us and around us and through us for the purpose of God's glory. Number two, Jesus sacrifices Himself uh, once and for all to put away sin, making our salvation possible. Verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Right? And this is why Jesus tells His disciples that, that He must go to Jerusalem and he must be killed in these moments where they say, hey, that sounds like not a fun thing to do. Let's do something else. And he says, no. He says, it's by my blood that will bring the forgiveness of sins. And so I go straight to it. Verse 25, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not of his own, for For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, as it is, Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Here's another verse that needs to be put in our minds and hidden in our hearts because these words anchor us in the hope that we have, not just for eternity, but for in these days we live in right now. That, that, that if we cannot have confidence in our access to God, then we will always struggle with knowing that our security, uh, of where our security is in the shifting winds of the current seasons of our lives. If you don't have confidence in how you relate to God, every wind's going to knock you down. Every single wind. And so as it's stated here, Jesus appears and His sacrifice is once and for all. To put away sin. So that opens the door to the throne room continually. Not contingent on on hours of operation. Not contingent on if you can buy enough tickets at the ticket booth to get in. Right? That we have confidence that we can go to the holy places where the the old covenant once kept us out. And what this is really revealing uh, to us is the intention of our Heavenly Father. That He is merciful and He is compassionate, and He has a deep desire to adventure in life with us. And you know how we know that? Because He made the door possible. He opened it for us. We don't come knocking. He says, I want to open the door through my Son. Number three. Number three, Jesus is coming back. Some of us celebrate that, and some of us are like, oh, that's weird. But he's coming back. In fact, I've been reading the Bible. I'll tell you the exact moment. I'm joking. I don't have that. I know he's, he's coming back. When? 
when God says it's time to come back. And just as it is appointed, verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, okay? That's the way it works. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So let's, let's be clear here. Every person has a single life before eternal judgment. Okay? We all live one singular life before we stand eternal judgment. There's no reference here to intervention after we die uh, if, if we have not already received forgiveness. Okay? I get that that might not be in our world of I want 50,000 different options for um, my choices here. Um, that's not the way God made it. And that's according to his mercy, he's given us this one true way. And so, so the final judgment will take place when Christ comes again and he dies once as an offering for the sins of many and he will appear a second time in judgment when he will save his followers, those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so, so, so the believers should live with this great expectancy and then this great urgency as we live out the beauty of the gospel with an unbelieving world. Okay? That's, that's our role. Like people say, well, what am I, if I'm waiting for Jesus to come back one day, what do I do in the meantime? You live with great expectancy, you wait eagerly for him, and then you live with the urgency that those who are far from God need to find life in Jesus Christ. That's the reason you are breathing right now if you are in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ Jesus, the reason why you are breathing right now is because God is reaching out to you. And in, in His mercy, He's given you time to give your life to Jesus. So, so for the believer, the return of Christ uh, should not be a fear-filled experience because we're taken from brokenness to perfection. We are. We get to see clearly what our developing faith is is trying to mature in. And I remember as I was growing up, and I, I don't do this as much as I used to, um, but I, I would hear a pastor, uh, and I would be like in Allen's shoes. You know, I'd be 14 years old, uh, and, God, and I would hear a pastor say, Jesus is coming back, and I'm like, I'm really cool with that, but there are things I want to do with my life before then. And so you bargain with God Almighty, like, hey, I know you're worried about everybody, but let's talk about me for a moment. Uh, and here are some things that I would like to do before Jesus comes back, okay? Uh, and so, uh, and I'm just going to leave a lot of those there, because a lot of them are selfish. Uh, and and, and what I'm learning now is that when Jesus comes back, it's glorious. That when he comes back, all of these anxieties we experience today, all these uncertainties we feel today, that they're no longer weighing us down. And I'm, that's not to say that all anxiety is evil, because I think our anxiety and our worries could or should press us to Jesus. It really should. So we can start wrapping this up. And so, so here's what this passage is, is ultimately telling us. That the death of Jesus makes us inheritors of what he's accomplished what it is. So when Jesus dies and his will is, is enacted, right, and is being e executed, I should say, 
We get to go to the room and they get to read it out. And, and what we get to know is that when he died, all the promises that he has made about himself come true. Because that, up until that point, he was just talking. So when he died, when it says, you can be forgiven for your sins in me, that became true. Because he didn't just die, he comes back. He doesn't just come back, he ascends. Where the writer of Hebrews will tell us he is in the presence of God in the holy place, in the heavenly place. So, so we are secured in his last will and testament. Some of, a, some of the most compassionate words you will ever read in life are the promises that Jesus makes us that he is going to prepare a place for us. Or, or that, that no one takes his life away, that he lays it down as a ransom for many. Or, or it is for our benefit that he goes so that the Holy Spirit may come. And my prayer is while we consider these great truths in Hebrews, uh, particularly Hebrews 9, is that our eyes would see Jesus more clearly and our hearts would celebrate him more passionately because we have more confidence in understanding the role that he plays and why he is so much more important than all the other circumstances of our lives. Why he is so much more important. But as it appears, verse 26, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what we celebrate. That's why, why you are an employer, why you are an employee, why you are a father, why you are a mother, why you are a husband, a wife. If you are found in Christ, your reason for breathing and living is because Jesus put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that should... I don't know how that stirs you or if that stirs you. But there is no greater celebration in life. There isn't. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. As we wrap up and we make a couple things available to you, you need prayer, we want to pray with you. Maybe you are struggling about certain things and certain moments or certain situations, and, and we want to be a people that can surround you in those difficult seasons. We'll have some people over along this wall. Maybe you've never given Jesus your heart. And so when we talk about the forgiveness of sin, you can feel the weight of that you feel the burden of that we believe there's no way to have a restored relationship with God apart from Jesus and we say that unapologetically we do because that's what God says and if you want to make that move today we, we want to give you that opportunity maybe just have questions about it we want to walk with you through those questions I love you guys let us pray Father thank you for the gift of your son we thank you that we get moved from glory to glory because of who he is
And I pray this morning in our passage that we, we didn't get lost in, in covenants and we didn't get lost in, in wills and testament, that we would just very clearly today know that, that Jesus changes everything for us. That He makes this conversation possible. That in this very moment, Your Son is, is serving as our mediator, serving as, as our go-between. That when you look at us, you see Him. My prayer, Father, is that you would continue to make us a people who understand that. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Stop, never stop, never stop, even when I 